Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. The Peter Schiff Show. I'd like to thank my brand new sponsor, Ladder Life Insurance Company, for supporting the Peter Schiff Show podcast. Ladder makes it quick and easy to get covered for life insurance. To lock in your best rate today and to get your family covered with Ladder, go to ladderlife.com slash gold. Well, we have a brand new president of the United States, the 46th president. Unfortunately, that president is Joseph Biden. Now, the question is, is Joe Biden the president or is he some puppet? And if he is, in fact, a puppet president, who exactly is pulling the strings? That question for now will go unanswered and we'll just assume that the president that was elected is the president who is presiding, and that is Joseph Biden, who was inaugurated today in Washington, D.C. And to celebrate, I suppose, the new president, all four of the U.S. stock market averages closed at new all-time record highs. That is the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ Composite, and the Russell 2000. Now, first of all, I think what that shows you is that all of Donald Trump's talk about his being the reason that the stock market rallied, right? His big accomplishment was the rise in the stock market. If the stock market gains were really attributable to Donald Trump's policies, 
And Joe Biden is already unwinding those policies and reversing as many as he can by executive order. Why are all the stock markets making record highs? To me, that shows you that the stock market couldn't care less about Biden being president because it didn't matter that Trump was president. The stock market rally that Donald Trump took credit for was not the result of Donald Trump's policies. In fact, if you recall, Donald Trump predicted that the stock market would crash like never before if he lost. That was part of the selling point of why Trump urged voters to vote for him. If you care about your stock market portfolio, you're going to vote for me because if you vote for Biden, the stock market is going to crash and that's going to take your 401ks down with it. Well, obviously, that's not happening, at least not because Trump lost, because he did lose and the markets continue to go higher. And I said it from the beginning that it wasn't because of Trump that the stock market was going up. It was because of the Federal Reserve that the stock market was going up. And Wall Street knows that. And they know that despite the change in the White House, there is no change at the Federal Reserve. Fed policy is going to be consistent. It is going to remain the same. And I think Joe Biden sent a message to Wall Street of the continuity by nominating Janet Yellen, who was the head of the Federal Reserve, who is now the Secretary of the Treasury, to kind of cement in the minds of the markets or the participants in the markets that it is business as usual at the Fed, that they will keep on printing money, they will keep interest rates artificially low in order to sustain asset bubbles. And that is what the stock market is celebrating. It's the continuity at the Federal Reserve. It doesn't matter who's in the White House. It doesn't matter what their policies are so long as the Fed continues to supply the stock market with the monetary heroin it needs to continue its habit. Nothing else really matters. And of course, as I pointed out in my podcast yesterday, when Donald Trump was a candidate, he correctly called out the facade of a stock market bubble, masking underlying economic weakness, masking the problems that he promised to cure if he was only elected. And of course, the minute he became elected, he ignored all of those problems and instead became the champion of an even bigger stock market bubble because dealing with those problems requires making unpopular decisions. You know, when I voted for Donald Trump, my hope was that he would be a statesman and not a politician, that Donald Trump would have the courage to do what career politicians couldn't because he wasn't a career politician, but he learned very fast on the job. He quickly became a career politician, despite the fact that he had a very short career. He immediately cared more about being popular Uh, than doing what was right. He didn't want to really make America great again. He just wanted to pretend that he made it great again because really making it great again meant tackling a lot of uh, problems, stepping on a lot of political landmines, dealing with the problems of Social Security and Medicare and the national debt and, and all these problems that no other politician wants to touch, right? The third rail of politics. The hope was that Donald Trump uh, would not be shy about grabbing a hold of that third rail. Instead, he completely ignored it. And so the problems got much bigger 
during the Trump presidency as Donald Trump was pretending uh, that he that he solved them. And I did notice, too, that I got a lot of thumbs down. I mean, a lot more than I normally get when I did yesterday's podcast and I was very critical of Donald Trump and his time in the White House and pointed out the fact that it was really a failed presidency. If you measure success based on what Trump set out to do, he really achieved none of that. And a lot of people gave me a thumbs down because they still want to pretend that Donald Trump was this great president. And, you know, there are certainly aspects of Donald Trump that I really like and aspects of his personality that I really liked and the fact that he really was a thorn in the side of a lot of people that I don't like. And the fact that so many people I don't like dislike Trump, right? In a way, it's, you know, the enemy of your enemy is your friend. So you would think I would have a good friendship with somebody who is the enemy of so many of my enemies, but I'm seeing through the forest for the trees to the bigger picture and looking at the incredible opportunity to actually make a real difference that Donald Trump completely blew. I mean, he had the opportunity to do something great and he sacrificed that opportunity because he wanted to be popular. He wanted to do things that would result in people immediately being able to praise him. So he was more concerned about that high stock market price than doing something that may have caused the stock market to come down. In fact, had Donald Trump done the right thing, the stock market would have gone down, right? But that would have been a good thing. Overpriced stocks, overpriced real estate, that's part of the problem. Part of the solution is allowing these assets to reprice to more reflect their actual value rather than the bubble that the Fed had been inflating. We need real economic growth, not another bubble. And unfortunately, that's all we got under Trump. And now the markets basically expect the same thing is going to continue under Joe Biden. Well, that's where I think the markets and the country are wrong. I think there is a false sense of confidence that um, this can continue, whereas I think we're nearing the end. But before I really get into why I think the markets are so wrong and why you know the country is so wrong in thinking that the country can survive, the markets can survive another four or eight years of a Biden, a Harris administration, why it may just be another Barack Obama. After all, Obama was president for eight years. The stock market went up. Everything was great. Yeah, we never really had a a year of 3% GDP growth. And by the way, we didn't have that under Trump either. Um, But the markets don't really care. And in fact, there are actually some people out there that think because of all this money that's been printed, all this pent up demand as a result of the lockdowns, that the economy is now like supercharged and we're going to have, you know, five, six, seven percent growth as we reopen the economy. And this is going to you know, be like a turbocharge and that we could even have a better economy under Biden than what we had under either Trump or Obama. So before I get into why that's all a bunch of nonsense, I want to talk a little bit specifically about Joe Biden's inaugural address and what he had to say. Certainly, it was a relatively brief uh, address, and it was very short on specific promises or any kind of legislation that he uh, was uh, you know, intending to enact. He mainly wanted to stress 
uh, unity, the fact that he is going to be everybody's president. He's not just a president of the people who voted for him, but for the people who voted for uh, Donald Trump. But of course, you know, as much as Joe Biden wants to embrace the idea that he's everybody's president, I mean, really, he's not. Because if you are on the losing end of the wealth transfers, right, remember what the Democrats are all about is taking money away from some people and giving it to other people. And in general, the people they're giving the money to are the people that vote for them. And the people whose money is being taken are the people who didn't vote for them. Now, that's not 100% true. You do have a number of high-income Democrats who are being taxed. And I've always found it was the ultimate in hypocrisy when you have a lot of these Democrats who are all in favor of high taxes, and then they do whatever they can to minimize their own taxes. You know, it's one thing if you don't like high taxes and you're voting for lower taxes, and then when those higher taxes are imposed, you try your best to avoid them and pay as little as legally possible. But when you're advocating for higher taxes, then why not pay the most possible? Why then take all sorts of you know legal maneuvers to try to limit the very taxes that you are in favor of, the taxes that you voted for other people to pay, you should be happy to pay those taxes yourself. But by and large, what happens is to the victor go the spoils. So all the people who wanted something for nothing, now Biden is going to deliver on that promise because that's how he got the vote. But obviously, if he is the president of the people who are receiving all that stolen stuff, Right. Is he also the president of the people who are having their money stolen from them? I don't think so. I mean, my president wouldn't be reaching into my pocket and stealing money from me and giving it to somebody else. I mean, my president would be protecting my rights, my liberty and my property, not stealing my property. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right. The Biden administration's EPA is pushing mandates that would ban two out of every three vehicles on the road today. Don't let Washington become your backseat driver. Protect the freedom of driving your way. Visit energycitizens.org. Paid for by the American Petroleum Institute. Now, I understand that I have a duty to support government so that government can fulfill its functions of protecting life, liberty, and property. And fine, that's my duty as American, and I'm perfectly willing to pay taxes 
that are legitimately used to fund the legitimate constitutional functions of government, especially if the government raises those taxes in line with the Constitution. What I don't like doing is when the government steals my money and just gives it to somebody else. So when Joe Biden is taking money from me and giving it to somebody else, I don't really identify with him as my president. Now, I I have mitigated uh, the amount that Biden and his buddies can steal from me because I live in Puerto Rico. So now most of my income is out of his reach. And that's one of the reasons that I encourage so many other of my listeners to join me in this beautiful island. Uh, It's a great place to live. There's a lot of great people here. I mean, there are pros and cons of living in Puerto Rico, but you got pros and cons uh, living everywhere. But one of the biggest pro is uh, the low taxes and no place in the 50 states can come close in comparison uh, to what Puerto Rico has to offer in that respect. So, My point here is, though, as much as Biden wants to pretend that he's everybody's president, when your goal is to redistribute, the people whose wealth you are redistributing are not necessarily going to look on you as fondly as the people who you're doling out all this stolen stuff. The people who are benefiting uh, from uh, what you've stolen, you know, they're going to be very grateful for what you give them, but not the people who whose stuff you took. But unfortunately, the problem is once the government gets people hooked, right, on this government money, that is the tender trap. They get stuck, and now they they are dependent on government, and they would be much better off if they were self-reliant, and in the long run, they would have a much higher standard of living if they were left alone and allowed to you know earn their money honestly rather than uh, you know made dependent on government and having to subsist on the crumbs uh, that the government is able to steal and share with them rather than you know eating a, a full meal that they would be able to provide for themselves if the government had simply gotten out of the way. One of the points though that that Biden did stress in his inaugural was that. This was not his victory. It was a victory for democracy. And the election was expressing the will of the people. And we should be celebrating the fact that the people wanted Biden to be president. And now he is president. And we should all celebrate that and how great democracy is because it allows the will of the people to be done. And that's exactly why I don't like democracy, why I don't want to celebrate democracy. That is exactly what the founding fathers tried to protect us from when they established the United States as a republic. And they gave us Republican government, not Democratic government, but Republican government. There are elements of democracy within the American Republic, but America is not a democracy precisely because the founding fathers did not want our government to reflect the will of the people. And of course, the people were probably a lot smarter around the time of the founding of our nation than they are right now. So if uh, Washington and Jefferson and you know Adams and Franklin and all these founding fathers, if they didn't trust the Americans of that time to make the correct decisions for the country, why should we trust our fellow Americans, when I'm sure that they're they're far less likely to arrive at the correct uh, political conclusion 
than were Americans, you know, 250 years ago. I mean, I think the population has been so dumbed down and so brainwashed over the generations in government schools and everything that we've been doing with the media. Uh, the last thing you want is for the U.S. government to reflect the will of the people because the people have no clue what's going on. And unfortunately, Biden is right. We are getting a government that reflects the will of the people and the people are going to get it good. That's the unfortunate part about it. We're all going to suffer. And most importantly, the people who are going to suffer the most are the people who wanted Biden to be president. They just don't understand that they've made a deal with the devil. And when you make a deal with the devil, you get the horns. And that's exactly what all the Americans are going to get who think Joe Biden is their savior. He's not. He's, he's a wolf in sheep's clothing, and the country is going to suffer, I think, in, in ways that it has never suffered before. Not simply because of Biden, but because of all the accumulated problems that Biden has inherited that are now going to blow up on Biden's watch. The closest, though, Biden did come to addressing specific policy was giving a nod to climate change, by talking about it without specifically using those words, but clearly he was referencing the need to finally do something about it, about this great challenge coming from Mother Nature. So clearly he is indicating that we're going to get some type of government spending and legislation because he, Joe Biden, is finally going to save the earth and, and tackle climate change. And the other legislative priority that he kind of let out of the bag had to do with eradicating systemic racism, you know, some form of reparations. I mean, he didn't come out and say reparations. He didn't even say systemic racism, but he alluded to it. And he basically said that after 500 years, the buck stops with him, that now is the time to deal with it. We can't keep procrastinating, making it right. We need to make it right now. Now, how are we going to make it right? How are we going to atone for 500 years of sins? Obviously, he is thinking some form of reparation for slavery. So we're going to get some kind of Green New Deal. We're going to get some kind of reparations. Those are the cards uh, that Biden has up his sleeve that he kind of let show. And I think more and more of this uh, liberal hand is going to be exposed as uh, the days and the weeks go by. You know, a lot of people again on Wall Street are also delusional if they think that Joe Biden is just going to tack back to the center and it's going to be business as usual and it's no big deal, you know, and that everything is just going to be fine. It's going to be the way it was under under Barack Obama. And of course, you know, they made a big deal about how much better everything was under Trump and how great it was and how why it was Trump's new policies and the faster growth and the better economy that was behind the stock market. And I said all along that that had nothing to do with it, that it was the same stock market we had under Obama. It just continued under Trump. The numbers were you know, not very uh, distinguishable. You know, a lot of people like to point to the fact that we did get record low unemployment under Trump, which is true, but the decline in unemployment stayed on the same trajectory after Trump was elected as before. So the unemployment rate was already going down before Trump took office. So the trend just continued uninterrupted. So did the trend of declining labor force participation. That continued. And so did the trend of replacing manufacturing jobs with service sector jobs. Those trends continued under 
Trump. They never change, despite all the attempts of Trump administration and Republicans and the Wall Street media to try to spin that as if something substantive changed. Because what Wall Street wanted to do was try to come up with a justification for the stock market rally and for why stocks are going up. They didn't want to just say it's because of the Fed. The market's going up because the Fed is printing money. So they wanted to pretend there was some other rational economic basis for the stock market rally. In fact, the only reason that Trump's policies help the market is that he refused to actually do anything about the underlying economic problems that were driving Fed policy that was supporting the stock market. But it's my belief at this point that the ability to kick that can down the road ends with Joe Biden. Of course, the most farcical part of every presidential inauguration is the oath of office, you know, where the president swears to a best of his ability to preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. And then everything they proceed to do once they assume office is unconstitutional. Everything that Biden wants to do not only violates the spirit of the Constitution, but the letter of the Constitution. All of his plans, uh, all of the Uh, legislation that he has uh, in his agenda is unconstitutional. There's actually nothing that Joe Biden wants to do that is constitutionally authorized. So the biggest enemy of the Constitution is Joe Biden. And while Joe Biden is swearing an oath to protect the Constitution, who is going to protect the Constitution from Joe Biden? Not the Congress of the United States, because even though those guys swear the same oath, they violate that oath every day they're in office. And certainly not the Supreme Court, because we can't count on the Supreme Court to protect us from a government that violates the Constitution. They have failed repeatedly in their primary mission to apply the Constitution to the U.S. government and to keep its powers in check because they refuse to enforce the Constitution under the guise of interpreting the Constitution. But what they really mean when they talk about interpreting the Constitution is ignoring the Constitution because they don't like what the Constitution says because it prevents the government from doing all sorts of things that personally they may think are good. So instead of getting in the way of the government doing all these good things, under the guise of interpreting the Constitution, they actually ignore the Constitution in order to let the U.S. government get away with all sorts of things that are clearly unconstitutional because they're not authorized by the Constitution, uh, but the government is able to get away with it anyway because of a complicit Supreme Court. Ladder makes it quick and easy to get covered for life insurance. Just log on with your phone or laptop and apply. Within a few minutes, you'll find out instantly if you're approved. After that, you can decide whether to move forward. The plans are offered at personalized rates that can flex as your needs change. The prices are affordable, there's no hidden freeze, and you can cancel at any time. Since life insurance costs more as you age, now's the time to cross it off your list. And the best time to buy life insurance is when you're young and healthy, because that's when you have the lowest probability of dying and therefore you can get the most amount of insurance for the least amount of money. You're making a bet that you die and the insurance company is making a bet that you don't. 
Now, of course, that's a bet that you hope that you lose. Nobody wants to die. But in case you do, you want to make sure that people that you leave behind have as much resources as possible to continue without you. And that's why term life insurance is so important. It maximizes the amount of insurance your family gets and minimizes the premium that you have to pay to provide it. So get the most bang for your buck by buying term and then use the money that you save to invest on your own, preferably with me at Euro Pacific Capital. And you can lock in your best rate today and you can get your family covered with Ladder. So go to ladderlife.com slash gold. That's ladder, L-A-D-D-E-R, life.com slash gold. I want to follow up on what I alluded to earlier as to why I believe that we can't just have four more years or eight more years of Biden and that everything is going to be fine the way it was under Obama. The problem is the problems that Obama inherited from Bush pale in comparison to the size of the problems that Obama has now inherited from Trump. And again, these are not problems that Trump created. They're the same problems that Trump inherited. It's just that they got a lot bigger while he was president because he refused to do anything about the problems. The problems got bigger and bigger to the point where they're now so enormous that I think it's impossible for Biden to get out of Dodge and hand this problem to the next president. I think this is the end of the line. Now, I will admit that I have had that feeling before. I mean, initially, I thought that all the problems were going to blow up on Barack Obama. And I was wrong about that. I, I underestimated how long we could kick this can down the road and, and, and how many people around the world would be fooled into believing that the Fed could normalize interest rates and shrink its balance sheet and somehow these emergency measures were truly a one-off event and that the Fed would be able to get this under control and put the inflation genie back in the bottle and everything was going to be fine. And that turned out not to be the case. But just because we were able to kick the can down the road for as many years as we have doesn't mean we can continue to do it with the same degree of success because the can is now so large that it can't be kicked. I mean, if you try to kick it, you're just going to break your foot. Remember, the reason that QE1 and QE2 did not bring about the collapse of the dollar, which was ultimately what my forecast boiled down to, was because the Fed was able to convince the markets that the $4 trillion balance sheet was going to go back down to $1 trillion, that 0% interest rates were going to be normalized, and that everything was great. I mean, the markets actually bought into this nonsense. But no market, nobody is going to buy into it again. Nobody is going to bite on this a second time. Everybody knows at this point that QE is infinite. Everybody knows that the Fed is never going to shrink its balance sheet. The balance sheet is going to grow in perpetuity. It's just that now people are under the delusion that it's okay. They don't realize that the only reason it worked the first time was because the world was convinced it was temporary and a one-off emergency measure. Once the world grapples and accepts the idea 
that it is a permanent source of funding, that the U.S. government is going to run enormous deficits forever, that the deficits are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger, that the balance sheet is going to grow in perpetuity, and the printing presses are just going to run nonstop because the Fed is going to be printing all the money because unlike what happened when Obama was president, it's not going to be the Chinese or the rest of the emerging markets that are going to be buying our treasuries. It's not even going to be the Social Security trust funds that were buying them in the past. And I pointed out in a prior podcast that I just did that the Social Security trust funds are now selling U.S. treasuries. So when you're in a point in time where the balance sheet is now far larger than it ever was when Obama was president, the big private lenders uh, are absent, the international lenders, the government trust funds are not there, the Fed is the only game in town, and now it has to print more money than ever because the size of the commitments are bigger than ever, and Biden is coming in to office when the economy fundamentally is even worse, the aftermath of COVID-19, if we're even in the aftermath, I mean, we're maybe still in it, but the structure of the economy, what's going on is even worse. We're in an even deeper economic hole. Despite the fact that the stock market's at record highs, the actual economy is in worse shape now, much worse shape than it was in, in 2008. So I think it is night and day. And I think it is extremely naive of investors to think that we're going to get away with this again just because it worked before or we got away with it in the past. And I think the fact that we did kick the can down the road for as many years as we did and the fact that the problems have gotten so much larger than they were back then, to me, the inevitable dollar crisis, the inevitable economic crash, the real crash that I have been waiting for is unfortunately going to be that much worse. It's going to be that much bigger an event. The losses will be that much greater for the vast majority of the public and for investors as a result. And I am more confident than ever in the new accuracy of what I am forecasting. Now, yes, I was confident in the past. I was very confident when Barack Obama took office that the dollar was going to tank. Uh, I was wrong about that. It didn't tank. But I am even more confident now than I was then only because, A, the problems are much bigger now than they were then. So my concerns have been amplified by the fact that the problems have grown so much larger. But... At the time, I always realized that my forecast could be early. I mean, I never was saying, hey, for sure, this is what the dollar is going to do or when it's going to do it. I always knew that it was possible that I could be early. I even knew it was possible that I could be wrong, but I assigned a very, very low probability to my being wrong. I did assign a higher probability to my being early because I know you, you, know, you never know what could happen. And, and things could happen that you don't expect to delay the outcome that you do expect. And of course, that is what's happened during the Obama years. And in fact, during the Trump years as well, uh, there was a lot of can kicking going on uh, during those, those four years. So the last 12 years, uh, the, the consequences of the problems have been postponed, but only at the cost of amplifying those consequences because now when the day of reckoning comes it's so much worse you know a lot of people think oh because we've gotten away with it for this long that means we'll get away with it forever no 
It just means that because we got away with it for this long, when it finally catches up to us, it's much worse. The ultimate day of reckoning is far greater. It would have been better had I been right sooner. Had we had a dollar crisis when Obama was president, it would have been bad, but it wouldn't have been nearly as bad as what's going to happen if we have this dollar crisis while Biden is president. And of course, had it happened while Obama was president, we would have been long into a recovery by now. Instead of digging the ditch deeper for all these years, we would have filled it back up. Instead, you know, we're now in the Grand Canyon of ditches and it's that much more difficult to get out. So the difference between my confidence level now and my confidence level in 2008 is while I'm just as confident that I'm right, I'm assigning mentally an even lower probability to my being early in that do I think that investors who follow my investment advice and invest predominantly in foreign stocks and commodities and emerging markets, do I think we're in for a decade of underperformance? Absolutely not. I think we're going to kill it in this strategy, and my confidence in that is higher than ever given where we are right now. Given the enormity of the problem, given the number of years that we've already succeeded in kicking the can down the road, and given all of the signs that I'm already seeing with the exploding budget deficits, the exploding trade deficits, the exploding money printing, what's happening internationally. And in fact, it wasn't just the stock markets that were up today. Gold was up just over $30 an ounce today to celebrate the inauguration of a new president. We're back above $1,870 an ounce for the price of gold. Silver had a very strong day, up better than 60 cents. Closed, I think, around $2,580. And gold and silver stocks, as a group, were stronger than any of the regular stock market indexes. The GDX was up about 3.4%. And the junior miners, GDXJ, was up over 4%, 4.06%. And again, we continue to see strength in a lot of the inflation-sensitive uh, types of stocks, commodity stocks, and the overseas markets continue to outperform the domestic market. We saw very strong European stocks uh, today. I think Asian stocks are going to be very strong overnight. So I think we're already seeing the beginnings of a massive outperformance of foreign stocks uh, over the domestic stocks. But it's not just that I think that my strategy is going to outperform. It's that the collapse, the crisis that I have been preparing for, which is really the basis. It's not just that I want to outperform uh, the positive performance in the U.S. markets. I want to avoid the tremendous real losses that I believe Americans are going to suffer as a result of a collapse in the value of the dollar that is going to bring down the value of all dollar-denominated assets. And so in order to escape that and protect yourself from really what amounts to a massive wealth tax, I mean, even if we don't get the official wealth tax, uh, we will get it unofficially in the form of unprecedented inflation, which will decimate the wealth of so many Americans. To get out in front of that and escape that, you need to invest globally. You need to get as much money as you can out of harm's way, out of U.S. dollars, out of any dollar-denominated assets. Yes, I said the same thing when Obama was elected, and it turned out that I sounded the alarm too soon 
because we were able to get away uh, with blowing up a bigger deficit and printing more money. But again, only on the pretense that it was temporary, that it was going to be reversed. And even though to me it was obvious that that was a lie and that it was impossible to actually do what the Federal Reserve was claiming, the markets believed it anyway and continued uh, to run with a false narrative. Well, the ability to do that has come to an end and everything that I am seeing, all the signs that I am seeing now, real life signs in the marketplace that are telling me that I had it right from the beginning that it was the people who believed that the Fed did it right, the people that believed that QE and 0% interest rates worked. Those were the people that got it wrong. People just thought they got it right because they looked like they were right as they were able to reflate a bubble and the bubble blinded them to what was going on beneath the surface. I was right the entire time and now the markets are about to verify that And I think the people who are following my investment strategy are going to be vindicated in their foresight and rewarded for their patience. Of course, I had the same concerns about the U.S. dollar and a potential big drop in the late 1990s as a result of the stock market bubble being fueled by what I regarded at the time as reckless Fed monetary policy. Of course, in hindsight, it's not nearly as reckless as the policy we've had more recently, but at the time it appeared reckless and it was causing a bubble and distorting the economy. And that bubble did pop in 2000 and my expectations proved prescient because we did have a big dollar decline following the bursting of the dot-com bubble. And the first decade of this century was a very profitable one for people who were following my investment advice and getting out of U.S. dollars. The dollar went on a huge decline, you know, up until 2011, really bottoming out in 2008, just before the financial crisis. But during those years, emerging markets boomed, commodities boomed, oil boomed, gold and silver boomed, foreign currencies boomed, and you know, we made a tremendous amount of money following our investment strategy. The difference is the party ended prematurely with that big U.S. dollar rally that I did not expect. I did not realize back in the late 1990s that before the dollar crash uh, completed itself, that we would have a financial crisis that would actually give the dollar a reprieve. I thought that the crisis would be the nail in the coffin, that the crisis would be what would push the dollar over the edge. Instead, it saved it from oblivion. The dollar was about to collapse, and ironically, the financial crisis saved it, and it gave it a new lease on life. But what it ended up doing was allowing the problems that I believed at the time, even back then, were gonna lead to a crisis in the US dollar, it has now elevated those problems to a much greater degree. They're on a much bigger scale now than they were at the end of the 1990s. And this time, I'm confident that there won't be a crisis to save the dollar. 
The crisis will be the dollar. The dollar itself will be the epicenter of the next crisis. It's not a financial crisis. It is a U.S. dollar crisis, which in and of itself is a financial crisis. It's just a financial crisis from which there is no escape because there are no bailouts, because the U.S. government can bail everybody else out when it can print the money to do it. But when nobody wants the money the government is printing, when the crisis is in the dollar, when it's the dollar that people are running from, not running to, that is a whole new ball game. That is the ball game that we're about to enter into. That's the one that's getting started uh, with Biden up on the mound. And so you have to understand how the game has changed in order to understand how to play it. It's going to look a lot more like the first decade of this century than the second decade, except it's going to have a very different ending. Instead of the dollar being saved by the bell, it's going to be down for the count.